This morning I'd like to draw our attention to something that we see on a regular basis and because we are so familiar with these things you probably give them little or no attention uh, on your daily or in your daily lives or on your daily route and routine but this morning I'd like us to think for just a few moments about the many different work trucks that we see driving up and down our roads here in Pampa and of course the surrounding areas. If you think about it, we have a lot of different work trucks related to the gas and oil industry. We've got work trucks that uh, are involved in welding. Uh, we've got electric company trucks. We have railroad trucks. We have cable TV trucks. We have phone trucks. And the list goes on and on and on, trucks for all different types of professions. Now, as you think of these different types of trucks, here's what you'll notice, that all of them have certain types of tools associated with their line of work or their particular kind of industry. Does that make sense? You, you may see one truck come by you or you may pass a truck or maybe getting gas at the gas station and be parked beside one of these trucks and then you may just happen to notice that has a compressor on the back of it. You may notice that it has one of those bucket lifts on the back of it. You may notice there are several different types of ladders on it. It could be really just about anything that these trucks are going to have on them. And there's a reason why these trucks are equipped the way they are equipped. It's not because the employees told their employers, I think it'd be cool to have a crane. They don't have the equipment on there because the employee said to the employer, you know, I've always wanted a big compressor. Why don't you buy me a compressor? No, the reason that the tools are on the truck that you're looking at is because the employer knows a certain job needs to be done. And in order for the job to be done, we have to equip the truck with the right kind of equipment for it to be done. There is a reason the truck has never, or the, the church has never moved to buy me a truck with a crane on it. I have zero need for a crane in my line of work. Now, if I fall out of my chair, you may need a crane to help pick me up. But I don't need a crane for just my daily job or my daily description by way of work. At the same time, most of you probably do not have commentaries provided for you by your employer because that is not the line of work that you are in. And so we understand, we look around in our community and we see all these different types of work trucks and we see that they're equipped with all different types of tools and machinery and we understand that they have all this equipment because the employer knows that in order for these employees to get their job done, we have to provide these things for them. Now, with all the provision that is made for the employees, with all the equipment that is given to them, the hundreds and thousands of dollars that are spent on all these different work trucks that we see around us, with all that taking place, what does the employer expect the employee to do? Go out and do your job. It's kind of interesting. We have furnished you a pickup. We have furnished you this truck with everything that you will need to get the job done. Now, we're going to require something of you, and this may surprise you, but we're going to require this of you, that you do what you are now equipped to do. 
So if something up high needs to be replaced and you've got the bucket lift on the back of your truck, you calling in saying, well, it's high, that, that's not going to be a valid excuse. If somebody calls in and they say, well, it's pretty heavy, and you've got a crane on the back of your pickup, the excuse of it being heavy is not going to work. We have equipped you for the job, and because we have equipped you, we expect you to go out there and do what you were hired on to do. We understand this. Now, a person can be hired, and a person can be equipped. And a person can be expected to do what they've been hired and equipped to do. But just because a person has been hired and equipped and has an expectation on them to do what they've been equipped to do does not mean that that person will go out and do what is expected of them and what, it, that when what they are equipped to do. You may see somebody who has a crane on the back of their truck trying to lift a very heavy piece of, I don't know, whatever it may be. And you might say to them something like this, uh, why don't you use the crane? Now nah, it's too much of a hassle. Whatever. You don't have to use it, but it'd sure make your life a whole lot easier if you would. You might see somebody stretching and they're on their tiptoes and they're leaning and they're doing something that would be somewhat foolish by way of actions, trying to reach something high. And you'd say something like this, well, why don't you just use that bucket lift? No, 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 I got it, too much of a hassle. Whatever. You don't have to use what's been provided for you, but you are making your life more frustrated and you are making your life more difficult by not using the equipment that you've been equipped with. And if a person does not do what they're expected to do with the equipment they've been equipped with, what will eventually happen? Well, the employer's not going to be too impressed, and at some point the employer will say to the employee, you might be suited for a different line of work. Now, this morning, I want us to think about that because it's a principle that we see in every area of life. I know this weekend, it's Memorial Day weekend. I know that for many of us, we have Memorial Day plans. I know for many of us, and I hope at least for all of us, maybe not everyone in our community, but I would hope it would be true of all of us, that at some point with everything that's been going on in our planning for this weekend, I hope we've been mindful of the military. Because you and I are blessed to be a part of a nation where for generations we've had a military who's been willing to fight on our behalf. And I know that as it is Memorial Day this weekend and not Veterans Day, I understand that with Memorial Day, we are trying to remember those who have fallen and those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms and for our liberties. And so I would hope that, that with this weekend, we are thinking about what others have been willing to sacrifice on our behalf. But I want us to think about our military for just a moment, whether it be in a time of war or in a time of peace. I want us to think about this, that with our military there is this expectation of them to do certain things. Signing up for the military, best I can tell, is not signing up for a two- or three-year vacation. When you sign up for the military, there are certain expectations. 
Based on those expectations, the military will give the military personnel the equipment or the supplies needed to do what is expected of them. Is that right? So if a soldier or if someone in the military, someone in the armed forces, needs to be in a battlefield situation, they're going to make sure that they've got the right kind of ammunition, artillery, guns under the ideal circumstances. The, the individual will have all the protection they need. They'll have the safety mechanisms in order. If everything goes as planned, the military is going to say to the soldier, here is what you need to execute or to do what we want you to do. Does this make sense? We are equipping you for the task we expect you to do. Now, the military is no different than any other area of life. A person can be equipped with all the equipment they need to do what is expected or required of them, but just because they're equipped doesn't mean they're using it the way they ought to use it. Does that make sense? And that doesn't always go well for the one who decides not to use the equipment they were equipped with. Now, somebody says, I'm not following any of this. Well, just stay with me, okay? If you read through the scripture and you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, what does he sometimes compare the Christian life to? He compares it sometimes on, an, on a different occasion, a couple of different occasions. He compares it to like a military setting or soldiers engaging in some kind of a battle. Are you familiar with this? If you're not, consider what he said to young Timothy who was in the ministry. Here is what Paul said to Timothy. Endure hardness like a good soldier. So it's like Paul is putting this military twist on the ministry. It's like Paul is, is equating the ministry to some kind of a battle, to some kind of a fight taking place. And so he says to Timothy, though Paul, from what we can tell, was never served, you know, served in the military in their day in, in any kind of capacity, and, and quite likely Timothy didn't either. But Paul says to Timothy, I want you to take on a, a military mindset. I want you to take on the mindset of some kind of a soldier. And here's what I want you to do. This ministry that you've been given, this ministry that you've been tasked to take care of, I want you to endure the hardness and the difficulties of your ministry like a good soldier. Now, if Paul says to Timothy of the ministry to endure like a good soldier, it does seem to indicate somewhat, does it not, that this is a fight? This is a fight. This is a battle that you are engaged in. And so he says to Timothy, I want you to fight and I want you to stand and I want you to endure the hardness like a good soldier. And so if Paul were talking to me, which obviously I know he's not physically or literally, but if Paul could stand and speak to me as the aged man, maybe speaking to the younger man, he would say something like this. He would say, Kyle, I want you to endure hardness like a good soldier. It may get difficult at times. It may get tough at times. It may not be easy at times. But I expect you, and I am challenging you, Kyle, and I am encouraging you to endure like a good soldier. And I think here's what a lot of people would say to preachers. Hey, preacher, don't quit. A lot of people would say to the preacher, Hey, preacher, don't you quit. 
Thank you. But guess what, church member? Don't you quit. Hey, church member, I understand you want me to fight. Guess what I need you to help me do? I need you to help me fight. And, and I, I know you want me to endure hardness, but, but as much as I appreciate that good, solid, rousing challenge from you, guess, guess what? Hey, you need to endure some hardness. It's not just me engaged in the battle. If we're a Christian, remember... We're all now a part of the battle. Well, how do we know? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, here's what we're reminded of. Paul is not writing to a preacher boy. Paul is not talking to me. He's not talking to any other preacher. He is talking to a group of believers in a church, in a city, there in Ephesus. And so as Paul is writing to these believers, he is talking to the lay people as much as he could be talking to the preacher. So if Paul could be here today and he could talk to us, he would maybe look at me and point his finger at me and say, Now, Kyle, I just want to challenge you to endure hardness like a good soldier. But I promise you at some point he would turn and he would face you, the congregation, you, the audience, and say this, but you remember this as well. You're engaged in a battle. You are engaged in a spiritual battle. How do we know? Notice in verse number 12 what Paul said to these believers in Ephesus. He said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now again, I know that we know this, I know that we're familiar with this, but I want us to think about this. As Paul writes to these believers, again, not from the standpoint of him ever having been in the ministry or the military from what we can see, he says to them, though, I want you to know this is a battle and this is a fight, but it is not a battle in which we wrestle against the flesh and blood. This is not one of those battles where you get to see the enemy. This is not one of those battles where, where, where you get to place your hands literally and physically on the enemy. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual battle because he said, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. He said, I want you to understand as a child of God, you enlisted, whether you realized it or not, in a spiritual battle. You just got hired on. You've been recruited. You just got signed up for spiritual battle. Well, how long will this deployment be? You're in luck. You never get out of this one. You just signed up lifetime membership. Understand, and I know that we know this, but I want us to be reminded of this. When Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual battle we are going to engage in, though we never see the enemy, the enemy will always be on attack, which means we always have to be in defense and attack mode as well at the same time. I don't get to put my hands on the enemy. I don't get to see the enemy's flesh. I don't get to see any of the enemy's blood because this is a spiritual battle. And to live the Christian life, here is what we know, it is a battle. seems like Satan attacks every aspect of a believer's life. 
It seems as though Satan, the enemy, attacks every aspect of the believer's family. It's as though the enemy, Satan, his demons, they want to get at us from any direction they could possibly get to us from. We dealt with this a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night. It seems like so many times the Christian life is either won or lost with the battle of the mind. It seems as though if Satan can get into a person's head, if Satan can get into a person's mind and begin twisting the thoughts and distorting the thoughts and, and contaminating the thoughts, whatever he would do to get to that person, if the mind can be affected, while we can never physically wrestle the enemy as it relates to our mind, if we're honest, we know there is a battle that takes place many times with nothing more than the thought process. And there are a lot of casualties in this war because people's thinking got all messed up and all fouled up in relation to godliness, holiness, scripture, etc. Not only does he attack the mind, he attacks our heart, does he not? I understand all these work in unison, one with another. The heart can't really be attacked without the mind being attacked. But, I mean, you begin to watch people and you begin to see their affections. You begin to see their loyalties. You begin to see their longings. And, yes, again, that's all determined by what they think about. But you begin to see people placing an emphasis on things they once not placed emphasis on. And you begin to see people beginning to fall in love with things that they used to not have an affection for. And it's as though their heart is being taken away from the things of God and now it's being given to the things of this world and the things that they used to, to be drawn to over here with the things of God you can't seem to get them interested in these things anymore because the world it seems has such a hold on them by way of their heart and their affection and their desires it's not just an attack on the mind it's not just an attack on the heart sometimes it just seems to be a general attack in which you can't really identify the problem but you know there's a problem you can't really look at them and say, well, you know, they've fallen in love with the world here. They've really gotten messed up thinking here. Sometimes you talk to a person and they say all the right things. And just to look at them, you would say, I really don't see anything just, just glaringly wrong in their life. But as you watch them, you, you can just tell there's something not right here. There's some kind of an inner turmoil taking place. There's some kind of an inner struggle taking place. And with what is going on here, they are losing the spiritual battle. So remember, when Paul says to the believers in Ephesus that they signed up, whether they realized it or not, for this, this life of Christianity, they signed up to engage in a spiritual battle all their lives. But here's the wonderful news. Just as an employer would equip the employee with what they need, just as our military tries to equip the soldiers with everything they would need, it's a wonderful truth to know that God did not save us. Say to us, you're involved now in a spiritual battle. Good luck. I hope it goes well. It's not at all what God did. See, if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, here's what we begin to see. We begin to see that as a child of God, we have been equipped for the battle we have been called to engage in. 
I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't wrestle against an enemy that I can see with my eyes or touch with my hands. That is not the kind of enemy that I have. I have a spiritual enemy who wants to fight my mind, who wants to fight my heart, who wants to attack me in general and my family and everything that I would consider valuable or or sacred to me. And in the midst of this attack, here is what Paul reminds the believers of Ephesus of. You are equipped properly for this battle. Well, how do we know? Well, in verse number 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Notice what we find in the armor that the Lord gives us for the spiritual battle that we're going to engage in. He says, your loins have been girt about with truth. Your loins are your hip area, this internal area, okay? Here, here is what Paul says, just by way of description, and I don't want to get too hung up on the analogy because all the analogy is not so much necessary. But, but he said, listen, you have been equipped with the truth. As a child of God, we know what truth is. As a child of God, we should be able to distinguish between truth and lies. We should be able to distinguish between that which is accurate and that which is false. As a child of God, as I engage in this spiritual battle, I have the ability to recognize that is not the truth of God's Word. That is a lie from Satan. And if I will take advantage of the equipment that I've been given, you know what? I'll more effectively fight this fight. Not only have the loins been girt about with truth, he said, we have on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness or what is righteousness? It is the, it is the willingness or the ability to do that which is right. See, a person can know the truth, and a person can know what is right. A person can can know that this is fact, and this is fiction, that this is accurate, and that this is false. They can know the truth, but it doesn't mean they will act upon it. But Paul said to the believers of Ephesus, you don't have an excuse. Not only do you know what is true, you also know what is right, and you can do what is right. We talked about that Wednesday night. He said, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says in verse number 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. He said, you've been equipped with faith. And I know we skipped over verse number 15 because it's dealing with something else today. But notice in verse number 16, he said, you've been equipped with faith. In those times of question, in those times of doubt, in those times of uncertainty, understand, you have faith within you to tap into. When Satan would like to say to you, it's not true. When Satan would like to say to you, it's not real. When Satan would like to say to you, this is all a bunch of lies and I can't believe you've fallen for this. You can exercise faith in this spiritual battle. You can know what is right. You can do what is right. You can exercise faith. He says, and take on the helmet of salvation, of deliverance. When Satan begins to attack the mind, when Satan begins to attack the thoughts, you've got the helmet. 
for salvation. You've got the helmet for deliverance. You've got that helmet for protection. And he said in verse number 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we're truly a Christian, we're thankful for the Word of God that we've been given. Because not only do I have to be ready to be on the defense at times, with the Word of God I can also go on the offense at times. With the Word of God, I'm able to confront the lies. With the Word of God, I'm able to confront the heresy. With the Word of God, I'm I'm able to confront the the twisted culture that we live in. With the Word of God, I, I am able to say to people, that's not right, and have the authority of God's Word backing me up and defending me and, and, and proving that the Word of God is right, not me, but it's my sword that I'm able to, to use in this battle and, and say to others with authority, this is what the Word of God says. So here is Paul writing to believers in Ephesus, and he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I know this is what we signed up for, but understand, please, not everyone executes what they've been equipped to do. So you can give someone a $100,000 truck with every piece of equipment on there that they would ever need, but it doesn't mean they'll go out and execute the job just because they've been equipped. Now, see, a person can get saved. A person can become a child of God. And as doing so, as a result of this happening in their life, they are now supposed to enter into this spiritual battle that is taking place around them, and they've been equipped and they've been given everything they would possibly need for this battle. And because they've been equipped, there is this expectation that they will do what they've been assigned to do. Well, how do we know? Notice in verse number 11 and 13. At the end of verse number 11, I'm sorry, um, Verse number 13 and 14, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now notice in verse 14, he says again, Stand, therefore. Stand, therefore. What does it mean to stand? It means to hold a position. To hold your position. Don't lose this. Here is where we're at. Don't sacrifice this. Don't give up this position. Is the enemy constantly wanting to take ground that ought to belong to the Christian? Of course he is. The enemy wants to take ground in my life. The enemy wants to take ground in your life. The enemy wants to chip away here and take a little bit here and, and, and rob you from some of the ground that you've, you, you've made or, or some of the steps you've taken in your spiritual life over here. The, the enemy is constantly wanting to push us back. And what did Paul say to the believers there in Ephesus? He said, stand. 
take a stand and hold that position, even when it's under attack. Oh, oh, oh Paul, Paul, it's, it's really hard. Because we've got whiners sometimes, don't we? Paul, that's so difficult. Well, Paul, you don't understand. I've got family who, who just don't understand some of the positions I take and some of the, uh, some of the, the ground I'm unwilling to, to sacrifice and to give up. Paul, surely you don't mean to stand against them. Stand. Why? Because that's part of the spiritual battle. Whether you realize it or not, Satan is trying to use family to influence your thoughts, your heart, your emotions, your feelings, whatever it may be. You must stand. Oh, but Paul, you don't understand the kind of pressure I'm under when I'm at work. I mean, you don't know what it's like to deal with a bunch of guys or a bunch of ladies who aren't saved, and, and you just don't understand. No, no, no. Paul says, I do understand, but I know this. You've been equipped, and as a result of you being equipped, you are now expected to stand. Don't give up that position, even though everyone's fighting you, even though the world is attacking you, even though the ungodly make fun of you, even though the ungodly are trying to make your life miserable, you continue to take the stand. That is why you have been equipped, is for the purpose of standing and not giving up any ground that's already been taken. You're not supposed to retreat. You're not supposed to fall back. No, you are supposed to stand and with the sword of God, the Word of God, with His truth, you're also supposed to make advances. There's an expectation for you to do something with what you've been equipped to do. And we have to be reminded of this. When we in our Christian lives don't do what we've been equipped to do, it makes our lives miserable. Let's think about this. If a person in their spiritual life is constantly giving up ground in their thoughts, in their heart, just in general, who they are, you know what they become? They become a miserable individual. Because the Christian life was never meant to be lived in a state of compromise or in a state of defeat or in a state of backpedaling or in a state of apologizing for the positions you take. No, the, the, the Christian life was intended for you and I to just stand and say, you know what, not because of who I am, but because of what the Word of God declares. This is what I'm supposed to be and this is who I'm supposed to be. This is what my family is supposed to be. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. I'm sorry if you don't understand it. But from this point forward, as a result of my spiritual life as a result of my Christian life, I can't give in just because you don't like it or because you don't agree with it. To live in a constant state of compromise, to live in a constant state of, of backpedaling and apologizing, it will lead to a miserable Christian existence in your life. I know because I've done it and I know because I've witnessed it happen on so many occasions, it doesn't make for an enjoyable life. But I've also noticed this. A person can be equipped and a person can be expected to fight. But it doesn't mean they will. They have to choose to do it. Well, how do we know? Well, notice in verse number 13... Verse number 11, rather, we'll start there. He said, 
Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse number 13, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. In verse number 11, he said, Put on the whole armor of God. In verse number 13, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor. All the equipment to be equipped is available. But just because it's available and just because there's an expectation for you to engage in the spiritual battle doesn't mean the person has to. Think about this. I know it's very simple. I know it's very easy to understand. But for most of us, as, as we got ready for church this morning, we stood in front of a closet, correct? Some kind of a closet, some kind of a, a wardrobe-holding device in front of us. And in that closet, there were all different types of options available to you. In my closet today, I had some T-shirts available, I had some collared shirts available, I had some dress shirts available, and I had some suits available. Now here's what I did in order to get dressed this morning, just as you did this morning in order for you to get dressed. Here's what I did. I, I looked at my suits and I took one. I take it. And I lay it on the bed. I looked at my shirts and I took one. I take it and I lay it on the bed. I, I found some socks that I thought matched and I, and I, I took it and then I, I take it or take them, and I set it on the bed. And here's what I've done. As I took it, I made the selection, that's what I will put on. Put on the whole armor of God. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Here's what you do. You take it, and then you apply it, which means this. A person can be equipped for the battle. A person can have everything they would need to engage in the spiritual battle, but they have to choose it and they have to put it on in order to be ready for the battle that faces them. in our best interest in the spiritual lives that we live to not just know that the armor of God is available but to take it and to put it on and to live with that armor does this make sense as I go throughout this day I know it's Sunday, I know it's the Lord's Day, I know for me it'll be a fairly relaxing day, but you know what I still need today? I still need the armor of God in place. But in order for the armor of God to be in place in my life, I have to take it and I have to choose to put it on so that should Satan begin to attack my, attack my mind today or attack my heart or just try to attack me or my family in general in some way that I couldn't even put my finger on, I need to be ready for the attack because it's a spiritual battle that I'm engaged in. And you need that today as much as I need it. And tomorrow when we're off, but Tuesday when we go to work, whatever the situation may be, we need to not just know the equipment is available to us, we need to apply it to our lives 
because it's expected we'll engage in the battle, but we'll only be successful if we use the equipment we're equipped with. A lot of people try to live their Christian lives without really focusing on the truth that they know. A lot of people try to live their Christian lives while, while living in compromise. And I know what's right and I know what's wrong and, and I'm going to try to do right as much as I can, but I may have to give in a little bit. And they're not, listen, they're not, they're not fighting the way the Christian life was meant to be fought. They don't guard their mind in the way they ought to have their mind guarded. And they don't use the Word of God in their life in the way in which they could to attack when there's an opportunity to attack. And I, I just want to remind us, we signed up for the battle whether we realized it or not when we got saved. And there was an expectation on the Lord's part that we would enter into the battle. And because of that, he said, here's all the equipment you will need for the battle. But you've got to choose it, to take it and to put it on and apply it in your life. If you don't, you know what you'll become? A casualty. You will become a casualty in the spiritual battles of life. I don't want to be a spiritual casualty. I don't want to be a fallen soldier. I don't want to be the one who doesn't make it. So if I want to get through my Christian life with success, if I want to get through the Christian life in the, in the way in which I'm supposed to get through it, I've got to wake up each day saying, God, with your help, maybe not these exact words, but God, with your help today, I want to put on the full armor of God. I want my mind protected. I want my heart protected. I want just my, my general being protected. God, I know that at some point today I'll be attacked by Satan or one of his demons. And God, I want to be ready for the attack. I do not want to be a casualty. And I just want to encourage you today to be reminded of this simple truth. You're also involved in this battle. And you'll either be a victor in this battle or you will be a casualty in this battle but it has everything to do with what you choose to put on in this spiritual battle. All the equipment is there. Will you apply it to your life so that you can be victorious? Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you'd help every one of us to take a moment, give some consideration to the equipment that you've given us to make it through this Christian life in the way in which we should.